0: Here's the thing, God wasn't done with him. God wanted to go further with Jonah. He actually wanted to take him to places he didn't want to go. He wanted to zero in on the hidden layers of his life and his resistance and to be able to go even deeper and harder of what he might not be letting God in on. And the thing is, God was getting him to say, I want you to prophesy not just to Israel, but I want you to prophesy to even people you do not like. These Ninevites, these Assyrians, this this nation and country that is really oppressive and violent, I want you to speak to them about me. And of course, Jonah did not like that idea, so he ran from it, and he of course, went to Joppa to get all the way to Tarshish, which is far, far away from Nineveh. And uh, and then, of course, God finds him. But I think Jonah kind of did the checklist. Listen, I have performed the things you've asked me to do. I've lived in Israel. I've been a prophet. I communicate to my people. I'm a mouthpiece of you, God. But the truth is, I would rather die than submit to this next thing you're asking me to do. I would rather die than submit to this thing you're asking me to do. Uh, it's amazing in Wisconsin. Uh, people already kind of gear up in October for what is about to come, don't they? I heard it in the Y this week. saying, oh, I saw you out and I saw neighbors. Oh, I'm still going to see you around the neighborhood a little bit, but soon well, we won't see each other for four months. Five months, six months. Sorry, I don't want to scare some people. That may have spooked here. Eight months, ten months. Okay, but, um, but we get back to the winter routine. And the thing is, in this routine, we're stuck. Many of us feel like um, isolated. Right, I have to get back to what is being inside or doing these things or X things or whatever it might be. And many times I think we desire to actually be broken through to for a breakthrough in our lives, even in those kind of isolation months. But do we? Do we really want God to break through in those times? I think many times we put off the checklist. Listen, God, I've been faithful in my job. I've been faithful with my kids. I've got some of them out of the house. I'm doing well, you know. I come to church. I do the things I need to do. But God says, I want more. What? More? I want to break through even more. And I will keep pressing until I get it. And here is a breakthrough for a guy that had it all together. The prophet of Israel, Jonah. And God was saying, even I need break breakthrough to a prophet. If he needs to do that to a prophet, maybe he even needs to do it to us. And in breaking through, God wants to show Jonah his character and his nature. He wants Jonah to see. He wants Jonah to see exactly what kind of God he is. Now, say to you, maybe there are some areas that there needs to be some breakthrough in your life. Maybe the winter months are the times to do it in isolation. Maybe the times that God is saying to you. I need to break through in even this area of your life. Now, when we get to this section, chapter 2, I mean, it's exciting. It's the fish time, right? This is, this is what we should be focusing on. This is what we think about. When we think about Jonah, we think about the fish. We think about pictures and flannel graphs of people being in the fish or whatever it might be. You know, we think of veggie tales. I don't know what we think of, but usually it's the fish when we think of Jonah. But like I said before, the sadness of this book is that we focus too much on the great fish, and many times we lose sight of the great God. And that is what this book is really about. Not the great fish, but our great God. And that this great God utilizes sailors, he utilizes nature, he utilizes even a fish to communicate his love for the nations, and his love even a thick-headed prophet named Jonah, and then his love to thick-headed people like ourselves. So why this episode? Why this story of Jonah being in the Mediterranean and a fish swallowing him? Why this story? I'm going to say three things. If you write things down, it's time to write them down. But this episode, I think, is saying this. One, it shows us the direness of our situation. Two, the need for a place of recovery. And three, our need to realize that salvation comes from the Lord. Well, let's look together to this prayer then and see what happens. Look in verse um, 2, it says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me. Out of belly Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters clen- cl- closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land, whose bars closed upon me forever. We get a picture of what is going on with Jonah, and it is a past tense. So Jonah is giving this prayer in the belly, but explaining of the whale, but explaining what had happened to get him to this place, kind of his time in these waters, these times in the middle of the sea, lost and then sinking and drowning. And the word picture is really good through Jonah. Is this? We see it over and over again. Jonah goes. Down, down, down. So one, he goes down to Joppa to run from the calling of God. Then he's in this boat with his sailors and he goes down to the bottom of the boat to kind of avoid having to deal with God talking to him to just sleep it off. And then now he's thrown out of the boat and he is going down to the bottom of the sea. And what this illustration of going down 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 shows is in Christian terms is Jonah's disobedience. His removal from God. His removal from God and following what he tells him to do. Please hear me. Suffering some of the times is not because of our disobedience, okay? Jesus points that out when the disciples say, here's a man that's crippled. What sins has he committed? And Jesus says, no, it's just the way that it is. It's a broken world. that happens. So I want that to make that clear. Sometimes our suffering is not because of disobedience, just because we live in a broken world. But you can't move the pendulum all the way over there all the time. Sometimes our suffering And the consequences we face in the life are because of our disobedience. It's because we have ignored God in an area. It's because we've run away from what he has called us to do. And because of that, we have faced the consequences of God. And here, Jonah sees it. Verse 3, so good here. Please look. For you cast me into the deep. What the I mean, what the junk here? We just read a little bit earlier. It wasn't God that cast him into the deep. It was the sailors that cast him into the deep. So now why is Jonah saying that you, God, cast me into the deep? This is because Jonah sees this. God, you cast me into these waters. You put me into this place. You threw me there to see if I continue to go down the route I am going. I am in serious trouble. And you are going to go after me so much, you're going to put me in a situation of consequences and pain and suffering. So I wake up to see that you're trying to get a hold of me. You're trying to say, Jonah, I'm here. Call out to me because he has not before this. Finally, he's praying, right? (laughs) Even the pagans have said, start praying, Jonah. Start doing something. And he hasn't done it. Finally, when he's sinking to the bottom of the sea, and when he's in the belly of the fish, the prayers finally start from a prophet. Isn't the blame game fun, though, of why we're in situations we are? I mean, the only reason I am in this financial struggle, I mean, it's because this person did this to me. The only reason that I am in relational turmoil right now is because this person did this to me. You know, the only reason this or that happened to me is because of this person or that person, this situation, that situation, I just blame and I blame and I blame. But here, Jonah doesn't blame the sailors. Instead, he says, God, your hand was in this. You used the sailors, but you were the primary driver behind it trying to put me in a situation so I would finally wake up to your presence. And then this prayer and this psalm is... I encourage you, just read it during the week. It's so rich. And in the richness, we kind of picture what Jonah was going through. In the deep, being surrounded, seaweed wrapped around his head, Going to the bottom of the sea where the roots of the mountains are, he is in a bad place. And the thing is, this kind of kind of illustration or metaphor or allegory of what's happening in this poetic language talks a few different levels. One, the physical reality of him actually drowning. Two, the emotional energy that's taking what he's going through right now, the direness. But lastly the spiritual reality that Jonah is facing by going into the deep, into the sea. And the thing is, Jonah is most scared, not about drowning, not about the emotional distress. Instead, what is he most scared about? Verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple I went down to the land, verse 6, whose bars closed upon me forever. So the idea is, Jonah is getting a picture of, I am being separated from my Father, from God Himself. I am most scared about being abandoned from Him. To being in the place of Sheol, which is death. And many people would say is, is separation from God. And then being barred in, which some people say, commentaries say, is it Kind of a foreshadowing of, of hell. Being barred in in a place of hell, being separated from God. And Jonah is the most scared about this reality. Not the death, not the emotional distress, but actually being separated and abandoned from the sight of God. Oh man, church, prayer. Judgment, hell, you know, horror, dismay, you know, all these things. Why do you got to bring up? It's October, right? I'm supposed to bring up horror, right? Is, that, is that October month, horror month, right? So, I, I hear a little soapbox comment. Um, I'm amazed by how many horror movies there are. I, I'm not a huge horror movie. Maybe you guys are fans of horror movies. But they do really – you know this, they do really well. Horror movies do really well in Hollywood. And I do think that horror movies do so well uh, because um, many people are so – in a state of malaise, they want to have something to wake them up. <laughs> so if I get scared, I finally realize that I'm alive. Anyway, that's a side comment. But okay, so I can talk about horror on October because Sai is talking about, so I to talk about now. So, um, so some of you like okay, being separated from God—it's just hard to imagine how horrible that situation is, how bad it actually is. Um, I'll tell you, sometimes I've been the most scared. Uh, the most horror. The most horror came to me uh, with a 1940s cartoon. Uh, when I was young, the cartoon was Pinocchio, which many people say is a modern-day, uh, you know, uh, story about Jonah. Um, when I was young, this movie scared me so much. Okay, uh, how, Pinocchio watchers, how many is Pinocchio? Maybe the other people haven't seen Pinocchio, but okay. Um, but Pinocchio is, you know, the story of the, you know. Um, Geppetto that makes Pinocchio, I'm a real boy, whatever, okay, so um, he basically runs away from his maker, Geppetto, this puppet, and so he runs away through a series of events, and one place he ends up going is Pleasure Island, right? And at Pleasure Island, there's all these naughty boys, right? They drink and they play pool, and they vandalize, it's just really bad. And what happens at Pleasure Island is that there's a curse, and, uh, either the drinking or being on that location, the boys start turning into donkeys. And so here I am, a six-, seven-year-old boy watching this and seeing these boys in front of my eyes turning into donkeys. And there's this one scene where this donkey is dressed up in boys' clothing, and this man is shipping these donkeys off to go work. And this boy cries out, he says, you know, as a donkey says, I want my mommy, Right? And this guy, you're never going to see your mommy again, right? And I'm just like scared to death, right? Especially as this other boy and Pinocchio start transforming into donkeys. You see what's going to happen if I do something wrong? You know, I'll be separated from mom and dad. The thing is, this is the horror that is being shown here. You are going to be separated from a loving Father, from God Himself. The one that provides for you and cares for you, the one that gives us common grace, the one that gives us families and life and beauty and all those things. Jonah is realizing, I will be separated from that loving Father if I continue in the route that I'm going. I guess I can't explain enough. I don't know what kind of horror movies you watch or whatever thing you might illustrate it with. But the horror of being separated from God is something I can't even imagine. And Jonah is realizing here, I can be separated from God himself. Flannery O'Connor, who I love, a southern writer, Christian, she writes a lot of short stories. One of the short stories she titles is this, You Can't Be Any Poorer Than Dead. This is so true here. Jonah is in the pit. He is at the bottom of the sea. He is dead. For all intents and purposes, he is dead. You know, that is the story of the gospel. I encourage you read Romans, read Ephesians. Do you know what it says about us? We are all dead. Dead in our transgressions. Separated from God. We are dead. But in the bottom of the sea, in that place, God sweeps us up. He saves us. He comes to a place where we are dead to bring us back to life. And here's the thing. This prophet Jonah, this guy that thought, I got it together. Look at me. Look at what I can say. God is saying, no, Jonah, Without me, you are nothing. You are dead. Don't think because you are a Hebrew. Don't think because you have a title. You are something. You are something because I am the one that rescues. That's hope, isn't it? If Jonah can't even get it, a prophet can't get it, then I hope we realize we can't get it sometimes too. You know, and then it can, verse 6, it talks about this rescue. Verse 6, says, yet, you know, that's the key word, yet, but, you know, things, kind of reversal. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. And we can picture that being brought from the pit is that fish swallowing Jonah, saving him from drowning. And it gives us a new picture of the fish, doesn't it? The fish is not a punishment. Instead, the fish is a picture of salvation. You know, my friends talking about Pinocchio. I remember the friends. You know, Pinocchio has a whale too, right? It's a whale. It's a whale, not a fish. But um, uh, and Geppetto goes to try to find Pinocchio and gets swallowed by this whale. And then uh, Pinocchio goes to find Geppetto that's been swallowed by this whale and gets swallowed too. And uh, and Pinocchio, when he's in the whale, is like. Oh, Japan, I love you. I care about you. My friend's like, why are you all excited about being in this whale now, Pinocchio? Why are you excited about being in the whale? Now you're trapped. Why are you saying, Jonah, that you're happy now, that God has rescued you in the middle of the whale? Here's the thing. The whale is the place of salvation. The whale is the place that now finally Jonah is actually communing with God. You know, Pinocchio was finally happy. Because he was with his father. Not, he didn't see anything else. All he knew that he was with his maker, Geppetto. And that made him happy. John Calvin says this about Jonah 2. Great commentary on Jonah 2. He says, you know, the belly of this fish is a hospital. It's a place of recovery for Jonah. It's a place where finally YouTube is silenced. The TV is off. It's a place where finally all the distractions around us are gone. That now we are just silent with the God. And we can say, God, here is where I really am. All the distractions are gone. Now I'm just stuck with you and I'm in your presence. Heal me. Help me. I don't know if you've ever been around people that have been in jail before. But I've heard this about guys that I've talked to in jail. They say, actually, I like being in jail right now. Because finally, all the distractions and everything that was driving me to destruction and to death are gone. That I'm finally alone and I can spend time talking to God. A jail? A hospital? (laughs) Or AA groups? If you haven't gone to an AA group and you're not alcoholic, just go to an AA group. They're awesome. Because you want to see people that are broken and finally in the hospital and saying, you know what, you might think this place is horrible around a bunch of people like this. You know what, this is a hospital for me. This is a great place for me to be. I can finally start to be healed. You know, it is my hope that the church, this church, would be a hospital. This can be a place where you can repent. They can finally say those things maybe to other people. Say, I've been struggling with this for the, my whole life. And I am drowning. Almost to the pit of the sea. I need a hospital. And you can repent and be open. And this would be a place where there would be Healing. A place where there would be times to commune with God. A place on Sunday morning where we t- spend time in silence and actually hear from Him. Is that what we want this church to be? I hope so. That it's a hospital. Where it's a place where people are sick and are repentant. And out of the place where repentant people are, out from the belly of a fish, out from that hospital, we would be spewed onto dry land to say, here is the God that has saved me and rescued me from the pit of despair. You know, the Psalms can be such a cliché. And here, Jonah is just repeating the psalms. If you just took this section and you read it from verse 2, you would say, oh, it's probably a psalm, right? And the thing is, this this beginning, it says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. These are psalms open with this over and over again. My hope is that psalms would no longer be a cliché. Instead, they would be real. That we would actually call out to God, and He would answer us in our distress. If Jonah can do it in the belly of the fish, he can do it when we are here in the church. Okay. Well, now we see the rescue, and we see what happens to Jonah. I love Sinclair Ferguson when he talks about this latter part of the Psalms. Of the of Jonah, in Jonah chapter two of his psalm, he says this. He says, "The deeper work of God was not done in the belly of the fish, but upon the heart of the prophet." This story of Jonah too is not a miracle of nature, but it is a miracle of grace. You know, Jonah is saying throughout this, the beginning, these sailors don't deserve grace. These Ninevites. These Assyrians who destroy countries, who destroy nations, who are going to come upon our lands, they don't deserve the grace of God. But finally, Jonah is realizing that he is in the same state those sailors are, in the same state those Assyrians are. That he is finally learning to receive the grace of God himself. And then he speaks of this grace. Look with me here, verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain, vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This very Hebrew word is hased It's throughout the Bible, through Moses, through Ruth, through the Psalms. We heard it today when um, Jeremy sung steadfast love. Jonah speaks of the steadfast love of God. And this steadfast love is his grace. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. He is compassionate to us. Even in the Old Testament, he reaches out to sinners. He reaches out to those of other nations and comes to them and saves them and shows them grace and gives them something they do not deserve. In our community group this week, one member of our community group said something very, kind of a very good question. I think the very question of this book. Why did God choose Jonah? Why did God choose Jonah to do this? He chose Jonah, I think. So that Jonah, instead of standing over judgment of these pagans, which is the Ninevites and the Assyrians, He stood next to them under the same judgment of God. He would go to the Assyrians. He would go to the Ninevites. And he would say to them, I need and I have been shown the same grace that you need. I need that same salvation. I need that same Hesed. I need that same salvation and love from God. How could he talk about the love of God without experiencing his grace? How can he preach judgment before knowing how much his, love, his God abounded with him and showed him love and mercy and compassion? You know, when I was in Denver uh, and uh, a young pastor in an urban church in downtown Denver, it's hit. you know, a lot of 20-somethings. And I was one myself. And uh, as the assistant guy, I get a lot of time to spend with the young guys. And uh, because I don't have to preach every week and spend time doing that, I can just hang out. And uh, it was fun, the kind of people that would come to this downtown church. A lot of people that are running from lots of things. And I remember one guy, um, you know, he would come to church occasionally. we'd get together at Chipotle on 16th Street. And uh, we'd have burritos or legal pizza. It's a great burrito place in Denver. We went there too. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking about Denver. Okay, so um, we would have, have these burritos, and um, you know he, you know he's young, and uh, he would sleep around. He had many different girlfriends. He smoked a lot of weed, and um, you know this is, you know that's my chance, right, as a pastor, dude. Judgment, bro. Stop sleeping around, right? Stop smoking weed. That's my chance to tell him. You are going to be condemned if you continue to do this. This is my chance to say it, right? But here's the thing. Here's what many times church culture says that we should do in this situation. You know what the problem with young people today is? They don't understand the moral law of God. We need to tell them about God's law. Just give it to them. Convict them. Here's what I found out. This guy actually did have a high view of law. Now, it wasn't about how he treated women <laughs> or um, what he put in his body. But he valued loyalty. He valued friendship. He, he had laws and rules that he abided by. the thing is, you know, when you hang out with people and get to know them and start to build trust and hear their stories and hear what they value. I remember getting together with a guy, He was severely depressed. Bro, what's going on? And he said, you know, I finally kind of committed to this one girl. And I, I kind of broke her heart. I, I did something that was really a really stupid thing to do. I, and I finally said, I said to him, how are you doing living to your law? Of being loyal. Of being a good friend. Of being one that commits to people. How are you doing next to that law? And he said, I am failing. Maybe the same words as Jonah. I am drowning. I am dying. I have been brought down to the pit. You know, I could, say, I could have said, stop smoking weed, bro. No, I said, I want to tell you something. I have been in that same place. I'm not better because I don't sleep around. I'm not better because I don't smoke weed. I'm not better because of that. I am a child of God because what God has done to me, not anything that I have done. And I tell you, living by your law will lead you nowhere but destruction. Living by my own law will lead nowhere but destruction into the bottom of the sea. But I tell you, one person will take that for you and come and rescue you from the bottom and save you. You see, you can't talk to people outside of the fold of God saying judgment upon you until you realize the judgment that came upon yourself and then the grace and love and salvation that came then through Christ. So you then, then can tell people, listen, no law will save you, but only Christ will himself. Is that how you speak to people? Is that how you look to your neighbor that might do things that are harsh to you? Or to a coworker that speaks vulgarities all day at work? Or to a friend that you know is continuing to make horrible choices? Get with it, bro. Get it together. Get your life in order. Get some law. Get some morals. No. I hope that's not the way you speak to them. But instead, you look upon them and say, I would be there myself if it was only for the grace of God. I pray that you would cling to it yourself because it will lead you nowhere but death. Man, I I am so harsh in Jonah, aren't I? But it is a harsh book. God is harsh to his prophet. He's saying, wake up, Jonah. And then is one of the richest stanzas. This is probably some, my seminary professor in college and others that I've listened to, they say if you could sum up the whole Bible in one section, it would be this right here. This word right here. This stanzas right here. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know what's so fitting about that? Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know the word salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua. You know where we get that name? Joshua. Jesus. Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation came. You know what the good news is? The good news is that there is one that did go to the pit. There is one that spent three days not in the belly of a whale, but separated from his father, God. There is one that took the direness of our situation, the horrors of it. There is one that ministered to us in the belly of the fish. And there is one that salvation is from. You see, Jesus, when he said, I am the greater Jonah, was not lying. Because he saw what would happen to him. He saw that he would have to take what Jonah never would have to take. He would actually have to spend three days and three nights at the bottom of the sea, separated from God himself, so that we would not have to be separated from God. The good news of the gospel The good news of Jonah is that it points forward to one that has redeemed us and saved us and gone to places where we cannot go ourselves so that we might be saved from that place. Is that your salvation? Do you believe that salvation is from the Lord? I pray you would. And I pray that we would take vows like Jonah and say I will go and be spit out from that whale and I will tell others that only by grace, only by God's salvation am I here standing in your midst. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for coming to us not out of obligation, but out of abounding love. Thank you for coming to us Compassionate and merciful. And God, as we partake in your elements, let us be reminded of the sacrifice that you took, of being separated from your Father, that going down to the pit, so that we might be nourished, that we might have life. I pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. We're going to ask Scott and Bill and Perry if they would help me with um, the elements um, this morning. And uh, I want to call to your guys' attention.